didn't finish, and some of you uh, want those blanks, and the notes are sitting right there on the chair. So after the service, you can come up and look through it and fill in or write it in the margin. If I go back and do that, then I won't get this one finished, and I'll just get farther behind. So I'll let you do that if you don't mind. It's about two-thirds done, so you got the gist of it anyway. Um, so we're on a second part on holiness. So most of you know if we, when we talk about holiness, righteousness, that we're not simply talking about the absence of sin. We tend to think that, that if a person is holy, that means they don't sin. That's just half the equation. Uh, the emphasis in the New Testament isn't on the absence of sin. The emphasis is on the presence of righteousness. That is, the presence of proactive things that you do. And most of those in the New Testament, the commands have to do with how I treat you, how I talk to you, um, how I respond to you. That's the uh, major emphasis when we talk about somebody being holy. Uh, you know, the term has sort of a uh, squeaky clean kind of a connotation. And uh, y y uh, obviously, clean is part of the, the uh, definition, but the main emphasis is what I do, how I act, how I respond, what I say, what I proactively uh, do to serve you, to bless you, to uh, help you to grow, whatever. That's, that's the emphasis. It's not just simply on the absence of cussing or uh, the, uh, not watching bad movies or whatever. We tend to think holiness is just, I don't do things. Uh, that's the easy part. The, the difficult part, the growing part, the emphasis, again, is proactively serving and helping and, uh, and working in other people's lives. So in your notes, number one, God's will... God's will, we talk about what His will is. His will for us as His children is to grow. So the, the, the emphasis, again, and I'll say this over and over and over again because we tend to get locked into this who I am. It's not so much who you are today, it's who you are tomorrow. And the emphasis, again, is moving, growing, changing. Even a little bit of imperceptible growth every day ends up uh, in a huge life change over time. And so the emphasis is press on, press on, move, grow, uh, like a corn plant. You watch it, can't see it, but leave for two weeks, come back, oh, wow, look at that. Just a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, every day. God's will for us as his children is to grow every day, every day in holiness, righteousness, and in the character of Jesus. So we talk about holiness, righteousness, behavior. We're talking about inside person, who I am on the inside, who I take with me, uh, what I take with me when I go to heaven, and it would be like that of Christ. 1 Peter 1.15, but like the Holy One, speaking of Jesus, who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. And all your behavior, because it is written, you should be holy, for I am holy. Now, that's a real clear black and white command in the New Testament that very few believers ever think about in regards to their own life. Number two, in order to become more like Jesus every day of our life, we must pursue it diligently. We must pursue it diligently. And so, if I were to say the key, if you're going to grow a little bit every day, it's, the key is effort. You have to pursue it. You have to work at it. There's a quality of diligence in your life. I used this illustration Saturday at the men's conference, and I'll, I'll use it again. It kind of fits. I said, I'm a lukewarm golfer. 
And what I mean by that is that I am adequate. I can fit in with most of the guys in the church that golf and not embarrass myself too badly. I mean, you know, I'm part of the crowd. I can golf. Oh, you can golf. I hit him in the bushes. You hit him in the bushes. I'm, and then second thing about my golfing is it hasn't gotten any better uh, in the last 20 years. And the third thing about my golfing is I don't care. So I'm okay, and I haven't grown, and I don't care. That's where a lot of Christians are. They fit in, they're part of the church, they come to church, they can talk the talk, sing the songs, give some money, help out here, help out there. And, but that's who they've been for the last 20 years, and they don't care. It's good enough. I'm in. I'm going to heaven. So we're just kind of treading water until Jesus comes. Uh, and that's not what he wants from us. He wants us to grow every day to become more like him. 1 Timothy 6.11, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness. Pursue. Pursue. That means you, you work at it diligently. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And the passage in Philippians, it's fairly well known about the Apostle Paul. He says, not that I've already obtained it. That is, I haven't become like Jesus yet. Or I've already become perfect. Remember the word perfect in the New Testament means character. It's not, it doesn't mean that we're sinless. It means that we have a character that's mature like Christ. He says, I haven't gotten there yet, but I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus, meaning that Christ died for us so that we might grow. Um, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, yet one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward. Ever sin in the past? Ever blow it in the past? Ever make a huge mistake in the past? Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. It's all over, it's done, can't fix it, can't change it. It's finish what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's that attitude of pressing on, pushing on, wanting more. Number three, the key to being motivated in our pursuit of holiness and righteousness is to ask and answer the question, why? So this is the big problem with the average Christian. They don't have a why. So do you have to be holy to get to heaven? Nope. So, why be holy? Average Christian, if I say to them, how are you doing? Are you growing? Well, I don't know. What's driving your desire? When we uh, were raising our kids, I read a book that says that when your kids ask you why, don't tell them because you said so. So I said, okay, I'm not supposed to do that. Darn, that's a good answer, though. Uh, and so when I would tell Sam to do something, he'd say, why? And I would give him an explanation, and somewhere in that explanation, he could find another reason to say why. And we could carry on the why, why, why thing for 15 minutes of me explaining. Uh, and finally, uh, I got tired, and, and then I went back to the old thing, because I said so. <laughs> So why should you pursue righteousness? Why should you desire to be more tomorrow than you are today? What's the reason 
If those are not clear, you won't have much motivation. If you don't have much motivation, you won't put out much effort. Number four, the more motivated we are to become more holy and righteous, the more diligently we will pursue it. Diligence is the key, and diligence always feeds off motivation. And so the question is, what motivates you to pursue righteousness, holiness, character of Christ? Number five, what are the rewards for growing in holiness and righteousness? What are the rewards? So when we talk about motivation, all motivation is based on reward. There is no motivation without reward. A reward doesn't necessarily have to be selfish. It can be just um, something we have, a a great marriage, good kids, uh, health, all kinds of things are what motivate us to do. And understanding what those are is what motivates and drives us and keeps us faithful. So I said last week, I ride my bicycle, my stationary bike, an hour, hour and a half every single day. And uh, some people say, wow, you're self-disciplined. No, I'm not self-disciplined. I am motivated. Because when I ride it an hour, hour and a half a day, I feel good. If I don't, I feel like dirt. I have a difficult time even getting out of bed if I don't ride it. So I'm motivated because I like being healthy. I like walking. I like being able to get up and go do something. I like fishing. And all of that hinges on riding that bicycle. And so... I'm motivated because of the reward. So what's the reward that you reap when you become more like Christ every day of your life? Number six, this is the first reward. The more like Jesus we become, the better we will feel about ourselves because we will sense his pleasure in us. We will have legitimate self-worth. So self-worth Self-esteem is a really big deal. It's what is termed as one of our basic human needs, psychologically speaking. We have this need of feeling good about who we are. And when you read parenting books, one of the things that they will say, especially secular books, is you need to parent so that your kids have healthy self-worth, healthy self-esteem. But one of the things that is true is that there is illegitimate or a wrong way to gain self-worth. And... uh, I'll let you think about it for a minute, and then I'll give you a thousand bucks if you get the answer right. I'm just joking. You knew that. But think a minute. What would be the wrong way? And so the wrong way is by performance. Winning a basketball game, painting a beautiful picture, singing a beautiful song, doing something for people that is really good. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but if that's the basis of your self-worth, it's a house of cards. Because you're not going to perform well all the time. You're going to have those times in which you blow it. And basically, people who do counseling in this area say, only takes one failure to undo ten successes. In other words, you feel really good. I had a good day, 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 I had a bad day, bad day, shoots 10 good days. If you're basing your self-worth on how you perform uh, in your job and on your hobbies and on your games and whatever you do, and so when parents train their kids to do well at sports or in grades or whatever, that becomes the basis of their self-worth, it's shaky. It's shaky. So, 
legitimate self-worth is self-worth that you feel because you're sensing the pleasure of God uh, in your life. You're sensing the pleasure of God in your life. And so one of the things that I discovered, and in fact I've written about this, is that there is a transfer that goes from kids, from their parents to God quite easily. And so my motto as our kids grew up was to praise them more than anybody else on the planet Earth because they would work hard to please the one who praised them most. And then when they got to be an adult, their worth that came from me for praising them would easily switch to God. That was his design. And so I poured it out. Uh, I was almost ridiculously... Uh, exaggerating the praise that I would give our kids and then now uh, I don't do it much anymore because it's not that big a deal they're adults but they switched over where they do what they do for the praise from God and what does he praise us for he praises us for our behavior our righteousness our Christ-like character and we sense it we feel it on the inside Matthew 25 21 his master said to him well done good and faithful slave this is Jesus speaking well done good and faithful slave you are faithful with a few things I'll put you in charge of many things enter into the joy of your master enter into the joy of your master enter into feel experience the joy that the Lord has in you for what you do and how you live with your life Hebrews 11:5. by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up he was pleasing to God he was pleasing to God Paul says everything I do I do to please the Lord. Everything I do, I do to please the Lord. Mark 1:11. A voice came out of the heavens, "You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased." This is Jesus after his baptism. The Father spoke to him from heaven audibly, "You are my beloved son," and he does the same for me. But in my spirit, he communicates all day long his pleasure in me when I serve him well when I grow, when I pursue righteousness and holiness. And when I sense his pleasure, I'm highly motivated. I uh, have several favorite movies. I've told you this story before, this fact before. My favorite, I think, of all time is Chariots of Fire. I watched that movie probably 30 times as a great movie. I don't know if you remember, Eric Little was a runner uh, in the and they didn't run because it was on uh, Sunday and uh, he went on and won the great story about running but he makes this statement in a discussion with his sister over he, whether he should be running for the Olympics or going to being a missionary and he said this statement he said when I run I sense God's pleasure in me and that line oh wow every time I heard it, it just gave me chills all over I sense his pleasure and God communicates his pleasure in me when I serve him, when I glorify him, when I pursue righteousness. And that sense of his pleasure is the greatest feeling that we can have. And so why should I pursue righteousness? Because I feel really good about who I am as a person. 
not in comparison to you, not in comparison to anybody else, not in performing for people, but because God communicates to me his pleasure in me because I'm pursuing righteousness. Number seven, self-worth is not really our opinion of ourselves. It's Jesus' opinion of us, which he communicates to us. I have a T-shirt. Somebody in the church gave it to me. I forgot now who gave it to me. And it says on the T-shirt, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. And uh, whenever I wear it where you can read it, I get some comments uh, from people that are around me. I wore it one day up in Alaska fishing, and there was quite a few people fishing. And I had a dozen people make a comment. One guy walked up, and he looked at my T-shirt, and I'd, I'd never seen him before I'd been fishing. And he says to me, Really? I says, you believe that? He says, I don't know you. I said, is it possible? He asked me the question. He says, does God have favorites? I said, uh, yeah, actually he does. And uh, I said, how about you? We got into a great discussion about uh, God's loving people and his uh, opinion of individuals in the sense of favorites. Luke one twenty eight. coming in, he said to her, the angel, greetings, favored one, talking to Mary, favored one. And so why would God pick his second favorite lady to be the mother of Jesus? He picked his first favorite, favored one. The Lord is with you. Number eight, the more like Jesus we become, the more he will bless our life. <clears throat> So if you, this is my favorite subject that I have studied over and over again. There's about 50 references in the Bible for the word bless. Uh, God bless you. I asked somebody the other day, how do you get blessed from God? Knees? People say, God bless you. And is there a requirement? If you look up all 50 references to God bless Every one of them has a condition. Every one of them has a because. Everyone has, you do this, God blesses. You do this, God blesses. You do this, God blesses. You should make a list of those things that God blesses and see if they're part of your life. Uh, and what does it mean that he blesses? Uh, it's a great study, but the fact that he blesses those who pursue righteousness is repeated over and over and over again in the Bible. Genesis 7, 1, the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. Now, is that a blessing or not? Yeah, that was a cool blessing. You get to get in the ark. Everybody else is out there in the rain. Uh, enter the ark, you and all your household. For you alone, I have seen to be righteous. I've seen, seen. In other words, God's always looking, evaluating. And because you're righteous, you're in. They're out. Psalms 5:12. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. It is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor. You surround him with favor as with a shield. That sounds like a good place to be, to be an individual whom God blesses and surrounds with favor. Why does he do that? You bless the righteous man. Psalms eleven seven. the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. Upright will behold his face. Psalms 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. That is, when they pray, he listens. Psalms 34, 17, The righteous cry, the Lord hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. 
Psalms 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Psalms 58, 11, men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there's a God who judges on earth. Psalms 92, 12, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Proverbs 3.33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. He blesses the dwelling of the righteous. The dwelling, that's their house, their family, uh, the things that take place uh, in their home. I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, God blesses my dog. He said, what? I said, yeah, he lives in my house. And it says he blesses my, my house, my household. Uh, so he's in my house, God blesses him. Number nine, the more holy and righteous we become, the more he will use us to accomplish his will in the world. So if you're keeping notes, filling in the blanks, that's number three. So why? Why should you be righteous? First reason, you feel good. Have a sense of worth and value that's put there by God because of the fact that you are pursuing righteousness. God blesses your life. He blesses your house. He blesses you he, in every area of your life as you pursue righteousness. He pays attention to you. He listens to your prayer. He protects you as you pursue righteousness. And then the third one, and this is one that motivates me probably more than any of them, is that he will use you to accomplish his will in the world. God does not use people to do his work that are not pursuing righteousness. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're flatlined. They're the same today as they were yesterday and the day before and the week before. They're lukewarm, meaning there's no growth happening, and they really don't care because they're good enough. Those individuals are on the bench. God has a bench, and he puts people in the game. That is, he uses them. He does his work through them. You don't do anything that matters, and else God gives it to you to do. And so he's always looking for those that are pursuing righteousness. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 22. Now in a large house, speaking of uh, the church on earth, believers on earth, there are not only gold and silver vessels, vessels of wood and earthenware, some to honor, some to dishonor, some to feed the mother-in-law and some to feed the dog in, some to feed the uh, important people that come to visit and others to put garbage in. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful, useful, useful to the master, prepared for every good work, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here's the opposite. Hebrews 6, 7, ground that drinks the rain, which often falls in it. That's talking about the word of God that's being taught in your Sunday school class, in your discipleship class, in a church service, ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thistles and thorns, it's worthless. Worthless. Close to being cursed, it ends up being burned. It's worthless, good for nothing. And so Paul says to Timothy, if a man cleanses himself, he pursues righteousness, he will be useful. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work, but those who don't grow, they're worthless, good for nothing. Number 10, we were created and saved by God for accomplishment. 
for accomplishment. When we bear much fruit, there is in us a great sense of fulfillment and significance. He will communicate to us uh, worth and value. We will sense his pleasure when we bear much fruit. Um, John 15 says, if we bear much fruit, we glorify the Father. We glorify the Father. And when we glorify him, we will sense his, his pleasure in us. Jesus said that when we glorify the Father, he will honor us. He will honor us. And when you get honored by God, you're being honored in a significant way. So how many reasons, how many whys are there now? One, two, three. Are we up to four? Five? Are you keeping track? You aren't writing that next to your, your margin there? So number one reason you're going to pursue righteousness, see if you can pull that into your brain. You sense his pleasure. You have a great feeling about who you are. Your worth and value as a person is clear up here. Nothing in life can damage it when you get it from him. And he gives it to you. When you move just a little bit, just a little bit, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more to being like him in character, holiness, and righteousness, he will put in you his, his sense of worth and value. And you will have this great feeling. And you know the thing about that is that nothing in the world can change that. Nothing can steal it. Nothing can take it away. People can insult you. They can call your names. They can cheat you. They can do all kinds of... It doesn't shake your sense of worth and value because you're getting it from God. Because you're pursuing righteousness. It's a little bit more every day. A little bit more every day. Um, what was the second reason? See if you can pull that up in your head. You got it? Huh? Mike, somebody's taking notes, paying attention. I hate teaching when nobody remembers anything. I'll have to see if I can work at that a little bit more. Um, somebody tell me what it is. It slipped my brain. Huh? What's the third reason? All right, we'll go to the next reason. <laughs> number 10, we're gonna, we were create. Okay, number 11, all of us will stand before Jesus at the end of our life and give an accounting for what we have done with our life for him. All of us will stand before Jesus at the end of our life and give an accounting for what we have done with our life for him. I visualize, I dream, I create movies in my head. One of the things that I create in my head is the scene where I'm standing in front of Jesus and he says to me, what did you do with your life since the day that you were adopted into my family and the Spirit of God came and filled you and you became my son? What have you done with your life for me? And I'm thinking I'll be able to remember well when I get my glorified body. So I'll be able to go back and say, okay, I, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, 
and I did this. He says in his word that we'll not even give a glass of water to a child that we don't get rewarded for standing before Jesus. In other words, there's every detail of what we've done. Now, holiness and righteousness is not just not cussing. It's serving. It's doing. It's bearing fruit. It's accomplishing something of significance. It's doing something in your church. It's doing something with your neighbor. It's witnessing to people that don't know Jesus. And all of that is brought up when we stand before Jesus. It's literally brought up in detail, recounted, and uh, he gives us glory for that, and he rewards us. These rewards are tangible, and they're eternal, and they're awesome, and they're great. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, recompensed, rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Matthew 16, 27, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, will then repay every man according to his deeds. Ladies, you're in there too. According to his deeds, what he's done. Romans 14, 10. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account, will give an account of himself to God. So my dad used to go on a couple of day trips. They would go over to the Yakima Valley where he grew up and family were and would leave us home. And when he went, he would give me a list of things to do on the dairy. And then when he would come back, we would go over the list. Now, I remember the times when I decided, ah, man, that's a piece of cake, the stuff I got on the list. I can do that stuff in about three hours. And so first day I played. Went off with my buddies and we did any number of things. And then the second day came and I didn't quite judge things right. And when dad came home, not everything on the list was done. There's nobody that has ever lived that I wanted to please more than my father. Nobody's praise meant more than my dad's, and nobody's line, he used to say, you know, it's a good idea. Do what you need to do first, and then play. It's not very wise to play and then think you can get it done. And I would just shrivel up inside. I wonder what it's going to feel like standing before Jesus, giving an account of my life for all the playing I did instead of serving, all of the goofing off instead of pursuing righteousness. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, Now he who plants, he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. His own labor, 1 Corinthians three thirteen. Each man's work will become evident the day, that's the day we stand before Jesus, will show it. It's to be re revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward if any man's work is burned up. Now, it isn't the sin that gets burned up. It's just stuff. Things that we do that we get sucked into in this life that use up all of our time. He will suffer loss. He himself will be saved. That's because we're saved by faith. No works required, but he'll be saved through fire. He enter heaven. Can you imagine that? Getting into heaven and 
at the judgment seat of Christ, everything you've done with your life is burned up and you have zero rewards as you stand before Jesus. None whatsoever. There are going to be a whole lot of people in that boat. And uh, I don't want to be one of them. And so every day in the morning when I pray my prayer of commitment, I say, Lord, today I will live my life as if it's the last before I stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of my life and I'm recompensed, rewarded for what I've done in my body for you. I will live today as if it's the last. If I knew it was the last, I'd shift it into high gear all day long. Because, uh, man, geez, I got a lot of making up to do here. I don't just got a day. I'm going to be 73 here in a couple of weeks and I could die any day now. Uh, I, I, I goofed off a bunch. I should have done what my dad said. Do the important stuff first and then play. But I've done a lot of playing, and so I could have had a whole lot more rewards. Number 12, those that are pursuing righteousness will experience great rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Great rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, next why, next motivation, next thing that will drive us. Number 13, characters not created by God is grown by life. Next week, my uh, sermon is all going to be on that point because I get people ask me regularly uh, when I make that statement. And I say it all the time because it's, it's so, uh, there's such a vacuum in the average Christian's head in regards to this particular truth. That is what we are, who we are. The day we die, the day Jesus comes, we step into heaven, that's who we are. The average Christian thinks that God's going to zappo us, fix us, and then boop, we're just perfect once we step into heaven. That makes life a farce. It makes everything he's doing to grow us in character non-essential. doesn't matter. It's just treading water. It doesn't make any difference if he's just going to fix it all in the end. Life has a purpose. The purpose is to become as much like Jesus in character as possible so that we enter heaven. We're like him, and we're like him, and then we will enjoy him, and he will enjoy us. And so this pursuit of character has a reason, has a motive, has a, and God is cooperating with that, making us as much like him as is possible. There are going to be a whole lot of Christians step into heaven, and they're going to be babies in their character. And it's going to make a huge difference in their walk and relationship with God. Hebrews 2.10, For it was fitting for him for whom, are all, for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings, to perfect the author. That's Jesus. Did Jesus need perfecting? Yeah, he did. I'm not talking sin here. He's talking about character. Jesus was born like we are as a baby with no character. He acquired character as he lived. It says in Luke that he grew in stature and in wisdom in character, just like we do. And God the Father orchestrated, and it says that, he perfected the author of their salvation through suffering. Sufferings are the most powerful character builder there are if we respond correctly to it. James 1, considered all joy when you... Uh, I'll, I'll read that in a second. Number 15, God is always causing the details of our life to work in us to promote growth, but we must cooperate with the process. He is always, always doing everything to move us, to move us. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more every single day. But if we don't cooperate with the process, it does no good. That's the thing about character. It requires our diligence. It requires 
our cooperation. It requires our choosing. God does what he needs to do, and if we cooperate, we'll grow. James 1, 2 through 4, Consider it all joy, my brethren. That's our part. That's our responsibility. When you encounter various trials, that's what God does. He brings trials into our life, just like he did into the life of Jesus. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, that means grown up like Christ in character. Now, if you're going to get zappoed fixo when you step into heaven, that verse doesn't matter. Just grumble and complain about trials that come into your life because whether you grow or not in this life is no big deal. You're going to step into heaven and God's just going to fix you. And so you have a Christian that pursues righteousness, reads his Bible, prays, serves the church, gives sacrificially witnesses to his neighbor, and then you got the Christian that does nothing. And they step into heaven and God just zappo fixes and they're the same. Is that the way it's going to be? It's not. It is not. So I think about that every day, every day. I want to be like Jesus in character. So I'm going to press on towards maturity. I want to grow every day of my life. 16, what we are in character when we enter heaven is what and who we are for eternity. My mom baked bread. I loved her bread. Best time was right when it was finished, and it was big, and it was fluffy, and we had butter from Guernsey cows. It was cream, and it was really good butter. And so when the bread was warm and you sliced a big, it was like an inch and a half thick, and then you put like half a cube, just because it was kind of had a little of these holes in it, it was soaked down in there. Oh, wow, that was like the best thing on the earth. And sometimes when mom had made her bread and she put it in the pan and she put it in the oven, somebody would go out the door and slam the door. I never did figure out what it, why it did it, but sometimes she would yell at us and she would say, don't slam the door or you're going to make my bread fall. And sure enough, when it got done cooked, it was like that tall instead of big. And, and it wasn't fluffy. It was like a brick. And so she would say, it got cooked in the squat. Didn't rise. There are going to be a lot of Christians just like that bread. They're just, you know, that, that much. They didn't grow. And... Uh, once they step into heaven, you know what I like when I golf? I like mulligans. That means you hit the ball in the crick. Oh, I'm going to do it again. And the only bad thing about it is then I lose two balls instead of one ball. Sometimes I do better the second time. But it would be nice if we get up there to heaven and Jesus, and we say, Oh, Jesus, send me back. Let me have another shot at it. No mulligans. Life is over when it's over. And who you are is who you are. And it's going to matter. It's going to matter a lot. The character you have in heaven. Psalms 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That word wisdom there, a Hebrew word means character. 
Teach us to number our days. We've only got a certain amount of time. We've got to get as much done as we possibly can. I remember one time, then several years ago, I took a gallon jar and I bought some M&Ms, some big ones with peanuts in them. And I estimated, okay, I'm going to live to be 88 years old, 365 times, uh, and I subtracted my age. I think I was around 45 when I did this. I forget exactly, 45 from 88. I multiplied, and I put one M&M in the jar for every day I have left in my life if I live to be 88. And every morning when I went out, I reached in and got one and ate it. One M&M out, another M&M out, three M&Ms out, four. It was just to remind me, every day is one less day to grow, to become like Jesus. Somebody says, do you still do that? I don't, because my grandkids ate all the M&Ms. I thought, oh, this isn't going to work. Second Peter 1, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He has given us everything we need to become godly through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. That's the words in the Bible. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You be, may become partakers of the divine nature like Jesus in character, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, apply all diligence. Apply all diligence. That's what's required. In your faith, that is, you trust Jesus as your Savior. In your faith, supply moral excellence. That is, move a little. And your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. Add to, add to, add to with diligence. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, these character traits are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, diligent, key word, to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Abundantly supplied to you. What does that mean? The entrance into the kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. That means you're going to get a ton of rewards and you'll have the character of Jesus. Or you can be like the person that doesn't grow and enters into heaven with very little. The more like Jesus, 17, we are, the more we will enjoy him, the more he will enjoy us for eternity. I love my grandson, Courage. He lives with us. He's eight. He's a good little grandchild, but I don't take him fishing. Uh, not in a boat, anyway. On the, on the bank, that's not too bad. Then we can, okay, let's go home. But in a boat, that'd be, that'd be maybe five more years. I love him. He's a good grandkid, but he's that big. I'm this big. He has a tension span of about a millisecond. Uh, I'm not going to take him fishing in a boat. But when I get to heaven, I want to go fishing with Jesus. There's going to be a whole lot of people that aren't going to get to go fishing with him. Because they're babies. Their character's not like his. 
the, the enjoyment factor is going to be miles apart. The whole purpose of growing in character so that when we get there, we enjoy him and he enjoys us. That's why he created us in the first place. <clears throat> 18, we're not saved by being holy and righteous, but if we are really saved, we will have an inner desire for holiness and righteousness. I'm moving on to another why. Ever doubt your salvation? You know who doubts their salvation most? Those who don't grow. Those who don't grow. And they'll, they'll try to assure themselves that they're saved by John 3.16. But the best way to assure your salvation is to have a change inside. Have a change inside. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. 19, Becoming increasingly more like Jesus in character doesn't guarantee our salvation, but it does authenticate it. It does authenticate it. First John 2, By this we know, by this we know, we know, we know, we know, that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Number 20, there are a lot of people who think they're saved but aren't. A lot of people who have this sort of I believe in Jesus the same way I believe in Abraham Lincoln and I believe in Columbus. Uh, they believe in historical facts. That's not the belief that John 3.16 is talking about. A lot of Christians think that's the belief that's getting them into heaven. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 13.5 Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. What are you examining? Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Luke 13, 25, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. And he will say, tell, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but yourselves being thrown out. They will come from east and west, from north and south, will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And so, why should I pursue righteousness? Because that's what God's children do. That's what those who are saved do do he has put in us if we are saved a will a desire a hunger and thirst for righteousness and if we can go years without growing we may be involved in church but it would probably be well to examine our life and ask ourselves the question am i really saved or am i just playing the game that a lot of others are playing so why should I pursue righteousness? Now, there's seven reasons. 
it'd be good to review those and keep your fire hot. A lukewarm Christian is a Christian that's not motivated. They don't care. A hot Christian is someone who cares, who has passion, and who does not want to be the same tomorrow as they were yesterday. Every day, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, as we press on, we press on. So in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about the nuts and bolts. If you're going to press on, what are you going to do? Uh, there's some very, very tangible, real, practical things that we can do. Um, if you're going to learn to play the piano, it's not hard to do that. Uh, if you're going to learn to play golf, you can do that. If you're going to become holy and righteous, it's very doable. God would not command us to do something that's difficult to do. He gives us the power. He gives us the promises. He gives us the principles in his word. We just have to be faithful, put them into practice. So we have a strategy. We know what we're pursuing as we work at becoming like Jesus in character. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I do pray that you would stir us up. And sometimes, Lord, we become a bit lethargic and apathetic about our growing simply because we don't think about it. We just get busy, wrapped up in life, doing what we always do. We sort of lose our fire. I pray that you'd uh, reignite that in us and that we would be, as the Apostle Paul, forgetting what lies behind. I press on toward the goal for the high call of Christ Jesus. I would desire to lay hold of that for which I've lay, been laid hold of by you, Lord Jesus. I want to become as much like you as is possible in the time I have left. I want to enjoy you and you me when I spend eternity with you. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.